Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. Good morning, everybody. Like I said, things work so much better when you turn it on. Talk about things being complicated. My name is Rick Thompson. I want to welcome you. I want to welcome those who are joining us online. Like and share if you like what you hear. Um, Three fishermen caught a mermaid. If they, and if they agreed to set her free, she said she'll grant them each a wish. So the first guy says, okay, I want you to double my IQ. Well, immediately, the guy starts reciting Shakespeare flawlessly. The second guy looks at the first guy and says, okay, well, if you double his, I want you to triple mine. Suddenly, he's spouting complicated mathematical solutions and equations. What's that? E equals whatever? You know, you know what I'm talking about. Super impressed. The last guy says, well, if he got double and he got triple, I'm not even going for quadruple. I want you to quintuple my IQ. The mermaid hesitated and asked, are you sure that's what you really want? Absolutely, says the man. The mermaid smiles, and instantly the third man turns into a woman. Uh, and all the ladies said, just, the fellas are, fellas are a little bit more quiet on that one. <laughs> Listen to me. Whether you're a man or a woman with a low average or high IQ, it's my belief that as a society in whole, we tend to overcomplicate our lives. And from relationships and friendships that we saw last week, to our families and finances and many of our future plans. That's why we began a series that we are calling KISS, and it stands for Keep It Super Simple. simple. Keep It Super Simple. And we chose for our theme that verse, that memorable verse that everyone should be able to memorize. It's John um, John 3.30. I want you to say it out loud with me. One, two, three. He must increase and I must decrease. That's easy to remember, right? You're going to get one. You got one in your, your reservoir. He must increase and I must decrease. John 3.30. And now we chose that one because I believe it kind of holds the keys to simplifying and uncomplicating our lives. Basically, we want to magnify the good and we want to decrease or even eliminate the bad. Like last week, I gave an example of of hoarders. If you ever walk into a hoarder's house, what do they have? They've got thousands of stuff that they don't need, okay, and it's blocking hallways and it's obstructing their lives. Their lives are cluttered because it's full of junk. Now, if you're a hoarder, don't raise your hand, but you know what I'm talking about. And the answer to that is to simply declutter. Get rid of some stuff. Get, get those things out of there. Uh, but, but the problem, I said, is oftentimes we become what I call spiritual hoarders because we hold on to things in our heads and in our hearts and even on our calendar that ought not be there. And in order to spiritually declutter, you got to get rid of some of those things. The bitterness, the unforgiveness, the, 
the, the things that are going on even on our calendar. I've got people who tell me all the time, Pastor Rick, I can't, I can't go to church on a Sunday because I'm going to X, Y, and Z. I can't show up at, a, at, at this meeting because of this or that. And their calendars are just too busy. They're too busy doing this, too busy doing that. And you, you know what I always say, if you're too busy for God, you're just too busy. Now, the most effective and foundational way I know to declutter our hearts and our lives is to simply take a deep dive into God's word. It reminded me of when Deb and I were young and just we just met each other. I was going into the military air force and we were friends and um, she became someone who, well, back in those days there were no, there were very few emails, people doing emails. There, there was certainly no Facebook, no Instagram, even cell phones. Uh, and, and FaceTime was not even in the thing. So if you were going away into the military, what we basically had to do is when I went to basic training, uh, after a week of training or two weeks of training, they let you use the phone and you stood in line with other airmen uh, and they gave you two minutes and it was a pay phone to call whoever. You had that much time to call your mama and your girlfriend and whoever else. You had, all, you had two minutes to do this. And so the preferred way of communication wasn't the telephone. It was writing letters, writing letters. And so at that point, my sweetheart now today, she started writing me letters. And oh, I used to love getting her letters. She write me and I write her. And then we started exchanging how we really felt about each other. And then her stuff would come in the mail. And it would, I'd grab that thing. And it always smelled so nice. And then occasionally, she'd have something on the back that, that spelled out S-W-A-K, sealed with, come on, somebody. I see, I'm aging myself. The young people don't even know what that means. <laughs> sealed with a kiss. Sealed with a kiss. Well, I said all that to say this. I love getting her letters, but at the same time, God's word is a love letter to every single one of us. Come on, somebody. And it's going to tell us to the extent to which he's willing to go to show his love for us. We, we heard it in the song, and there's no shadow. He won't light up. There's no mountain. He won't climb up. No wall. He won't kick down. Come on, somebody. The word of God will tell us all that. For God so loved you, he so loved me, that he gave his one and only son. If I believe in him, I will not perish, but have eternal life. It'll even tell us how he feels about us. We are a chosen people, a royal priest of the holy nation, a people of his own. Come on. It tells us how he feels. And it gives us his intent. That's why we shouldn't allow the word of God to sit collecting on the side of a, of a shelf somewhere collecting dust. We should all be taking the time to, to read it for ourselves. Now, people often ask me, Pastor, I mean, what's the, what's the best version to, to read? And, and, and so they say, is it King James? Is it the NIV? Is it this one? Is it, that? Is it the New Living Translation? I said, the best version of the Bible to read is the one that you will read, the one that you will pick up and not just let sit there. And so just like I love getting Deborah's love letters, listen, and, and, and even the one that was sealed with a kiss, the title of this morning's message is God's Word, A Kiss from Heaven, A Kiss from Heaven. And again, why do we want to focus on his words? I'm going to give you several reasons. His word is essential for our lives. 
His word is essential for our lives. As much as eating and drinking and breathing. Now think about it. The Bible tells me that everything that started on this planet, everything that started in this universe, started with the word of God. In the beginning, God said, and it was. And he spoke these things into existence, the sun, the moon, the stars, even the heart beating in our chest and the air filling our lungs as a result of the spoken word of God. Come on, somebody. That's why when Jesus was confronted by the lies of the enemy, remember when he was sent into the, the, it says the Holy Spirit, he was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit and he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights to be tempted by the devil. And the tempter came to him. And that first temptation was, if you are the son of God, turn these stones. You know, he's hungry. He hasn't eaten for 40 days. Turn these stones into bread. And Jesus' response to him was, no. The scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone. Help me out, somebody. But by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Think about that just for a moment. People do not just live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, con considering his word, God's word was there at the beginning, and we know it's going to be there at the end. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So, so, so when everything else is gone uh, on this earth, the, the earth, the skies, the cars, your bank accounts, your recreational activities, whatever he said or she said, when all these things pass away, there's going to be one thing that remains, God's word. The apostle Paul described it this way. He reminds us in, in John 1.1, he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. Help me out, somebody. And the word was God. Matter of fact, let me just read what it says. He says, he existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. And if you drop down to verse 14, and it says, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and, his, and that word has a name. What's his name? Jesus. And so, and so we ought to get to, to, if we get to know and love God's word, we're going to get to know and love Jesus more. Amen? Does that make sense? We're going to get to, to understand who he is and, and what he wants for our lives. And so we want to get to know God's word. It's essential for our daily living. Also, God's word is good for, write this down, training in right living. Training in right living, 2 Timothy 3.14. It says, but you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures, what does it say? From childhood. And so uh, in the book of Timothy, I think it's the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, he's telling them, you've been, you've been taught this from childhood. And it wasn't just them. That was the culture of the Jewish people. They brought their kids to temple, and they were taught the scriptures from childhood. Keep that in the back of your mind. And they have given you the wisdom to receive salvation 
that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. It was Jesus that says you, you study the scriptures because in them you think you, you, you can find eternal life. He says, but those very scriptures testify of me. God's word will point you to Jesus. Verse 16, and all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is, help me somebody, wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us what to do, what is right. And God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Question, does anyone not have anything wrong in their lives? Everything's going smooth. There's nothing to correct at all. Don't raise your hand. I'm just just throwing it out there. I think we all have areas that we can improve, right? And so for that reason, we should all be in God's word because we need God's word. It's good for training, the Bible says, and for us to realize what is wrong and to teach us what is the right thing to do. Now, he, speaking of childhood, it says, he's talking about Timothy. Timothy, you were taught the scriptures from a child. Speaking of childhood, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, he says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. The New Living says, direct your children onto the right path, and when they're older, they will not leave it. Question, whose job is it to train up and direct your children, your grandchildren? Come on, help me out, somebody. Is it the government's job? The school board? Ultimately, it's the parents' job. I say that because we better watch out what's going on in the schools today and the things that they're teaching. I know an educator in the public schools, and she said to me, she said, 10 years ago was not even like uh, what's going on today, or even two years ago, it's not even like what's going on today. Because of liberal and socially, uh, they call it progressive, but I call it regressive policies, and, and, and we live in a county that's that way, Broward and these places, she says, we've gone from teaching basic arithmetic, reading, writing, and arithmetic. They've gone from that to social indoctrination, where the teachers are teaching the kids. And you've heard me say this before, that if, as young as middle school here, in some places it's elementary school, that they can choose their gender. And she says, in their school, when they choose their gender, she said, now I'm seeing little girls walking down the halls in middle school, holding hands with little girls and boys holding hands with little boys. They can go into whatever locker room they want to. They could, uh, the locker room with their choice, whether they're male or female, they just got to de- declare their, what, what is it, their pronouns. And the teachers and the administrators are not allowed to tell the parents. I said, are you kidding? No. Not allowed to tell the parents, you better figure out what's going on in those schools. And let's, let me tell you something. If that's happening, if your kid comes home, your little girl comes home and says, I think I'm a boy, or your boy comes home and thinks he says, I think I'm a girl, get them out of that school immediately. Immediately. Because it's being reinforced by the administration in that school. 
Now listen, someone said it like this. If we don't teach our children to follow Christ, the world will teach them not to. Another person said teaching kids to count is fine, but teaching them what counts is best. Amen? Train up a child in the right path, and when they are old, the Bible says, and it's your job and it's my job as a parent, not the school board or the government, it's our job. And when they're old, they will not depart from it. In addition, concerning God's word, listen, we should write this down, bathe in it. When I was younger, we would always slam each other. Today, everything's so PC where you know, they're always concerned about hurting people's feelings. And, and so the jokes we used to tell when we were young, you couldn't tell, you couldn't tell today. And so what we'd do, and I, I mean, I'd have, I'd have white friends, I'd have black friends, I'd have Italian friends, I'd have, I, 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 you know, and we'd just crack on each other. And we'd say, go ahead and take, uh, and then you put in whatever ethnicity they are, and we say, take up that type of shower, right? And, and, and basically that was where you squirt something and you walk through it. And, and that's what we said. What'd you, we'd smell them that day and say, what would you do? Did you take a blank, blank kind of shower? Listen to me. With the word of God, we can't take those type of showers where we just spritz it one, one time on Sunday or, or whatever and, and walk through and think that, okay, I'm, I'm good for the rest of the time. The Bible encourages us not just to take a little sprinkle, but to dive into his word. Ephesians 5.25 says, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, someone say, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies, for a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. And so the writer is describing the relationship between God and his church, Jesus and his bride. And he's he's describing Jesus as someone who carefully washes and cares for his bride through the water of the word. The church by cleansing her with God's word. And then he encourages the husband to do the same to the wife. Now the question is, are you lovingly speaking God's word over your spouse? Over those loved ones in your life? Or are the words coming out of your mouth not not, uh, words of edification, but you're heaping insults and curses at them? Don't raise your hand. Something to think about. Concerning the word and the culture, Jesus scolded the so-called religious people of his day because, because they, they took, he took issue with the, with the, with the, the, the lack of, of their reliance on God's word or the fact that they elevated the culture over what God said. And this is what he said in Matthew 15, verse 5. But you say, it, you say it is all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you say they don't need to honor their parents, and so you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach, listen, 
man-made ideas as commands from God. They teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Are you more concerned about your traditions and the culture and who you're going to offend over what the Word of God says? Do you even know the difference? If you're not in God's Word, you're not going to know the difference. It's going to sound good, but it may contradict the very Word of God. And if you start to elevate that culture and tradition above what the Word of God says, well, Jesus has a word for them. He says they're hypocrites. He says, you hypocrites, you now nullified the word of God for your own traditions. And he cited the prophet Isaiah, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Your worship is a farce. Romans 12, 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by renewing your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. How does God renew our minds? How do we experience that transformation? It happens when we take a deep dive into God's word and we start allowing the, 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 the pureness of the word of God to challenge our our, what you've heard me say this before, stinking thinking. I had stinking thinking when I came into my walk with the Lord. I got saved. I heard the gospel. It made sense. It went off in my heart. I surrendered my life to Jesus. But in surrendering my life to Jesus, where I didn't care about the word of God before, all of a sudden I had a hunger and desire to read what it says. And before that, I was running with my friends on the street, and there were things that I was doing with my friends on the street that when I went to the Word of God, the Word of God said, no, I don't want you to live that way. And so I had to make a decision, am I going to go with what God says, or if I'm going to go with what, you know, what we're used to? And so the Bible says, if we're interested in determining God's will, he says, I am not going to conform to the patterns of this world, the Bible says, but I'm going to be transformed in my mind. I'm going to allow the word of God to renew my mind. And when that happens, then he says, I'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Does anybody want to know God's will for their lives? Wow, that was weak. I'm going to ask it again. Because this was the burning desire. Once I realized, oh my goodness, there's a God. And there's a devil. Listen, I, I think it was more impactful for me at the time when I found out there was a devil. Mama, she remembers. I came home one day from the church, and a guy had come off the street, wandering around the street. He was out of his mind. He came forward for prayer. And in that moment, at church, I was a teenager. The deacon started praying for him. He went down on the ground and started manifesting and started picking everybody up. He was full of devils. They cast those devils out of him, and he was in his right mind. <laughs> Come on, somebody. But then I was like, oh, my God, there's devils. This is true. I better start reading this thing. 
so that I know how to deal with it if it comes my way. And so when it started to become real to me, I started to want to read what it says. And then when I started reading what it said, it started challenging my thinking. And it started confronting my stinking thinking. And when I made the choice to get rid of my stinking thinking, all of a sudden God's will started to become more clear. Anybody want to know God's will for you? Yeah. <laughs> that, was much, that was much better. Much of it happens when I take a deep dive into God's word. Not my opinions, not the opinions of men, not culture, not even political parties, but God's word. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, the operative word in that scripture is the word study. In the Greek, it means to be earnest or diligent. What are we supposed to study? Come on, somebody, help me out. What did it say to study? It said, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So be honest when you, when you approach God's word. Be diligent as you approach God's word. That's what it means. It means I'm not just going to let God's word come in one ear and go out the other. For some people, it ain't even going in. It's just, it's just, it's just, it's not even going in. But for some of us, it's going in and out. And what God wants me to do is to take it and to study it and to meditate on it. Joshua 1.8, this is how we should approach God's word. It says, study this book of instruction continually, meditate on it. Help me, somebody. Once a week on Sundays, come on. No, it says day and night, and then what's going to happen? So you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. And I like to ask that. Anybody want to succeed in what they do? In yes. all you do? Yes. If God has the, that much power to speak the world into existence and the whole universe, then does he have the power to cause you to succeed in what you do? in your marriages, in your relationships, in your businesses, when you're confronted by the demonic, does God get the victory if we submit ourselves to him, resist the devil? Come on, somebody, and start using God's word. Amanda on the stage, she started to learn to it. The, the, the enemy tries to weigh us down with all sorts of lies about who we are and what we can and cannot do. I could never do that. I can never do or, or I'm this or I'm that or you're worthless or whatever. And God's word says something totally different. It says you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people that belongs to God. Amen? Amen. And so I've got a choice. Am I going to listen to what God says and, st and, and start allowing the spoken word about what he says about me to come, to, to be coming out my mouth? Or am I going to Continue to repeat the lies of the enemy and the curses that he brings. The scripture says, study his word day and night. And friends, once a week for 45 minutes on, on Sunday is not enough. If you actually only ate once a week, what would happen at the end of the week? Okay, you lose some weight, right? 
But I promise you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't just be hungry, you'd be hangry. That's hungry and angry at the same time. You'd be now malnourished. You wouldn't be a very pleasant person to be around. Yet we treat God's word the same way. And we think that little snack on Sunday is enough. It isn't. And so in the interest of, of uh, you know, eating more than once a week, we have started a midweek Bible study. And I want you guys, encourage you guys to jump in on that. Matter of fact, I think we might have a video. Do we have that? You know, a lot of things are changing in our culture and our society, but the one thing that has not changed is Jesus' promise and his commitment to build a local church through the gospel. The gospel is our source of renewal. Jesus tied all of his power, all of his promises to the gospel. I'm going to get a chance over the next few weeks to go and talk to several friends of mine around the country who I think are gospel leaders and showing us what it means for the gospel to be above all. I think we're going to have some fascinating discussions over the next few weeks as we, as we talk with some of the, our, our nation's experts just learning what it looks like to be a gospel-rich, gospel-focused Christian and what it looks like for us to have the gospel above all in our lives and the gospel above all in our ministries and our churches, wherever God has us. So I think it's going to be a lot of fun, and I look forward to having you with me on the way. The Gospel Above All, it's our midweek Bible study. There's still time to sign up. Uh, we need you to uh, fill out the, the sign-up card, and if you need um, child care, child care will be provided. But it's an opportunity to, to jump into to, uh, God's Word more than just one time a week. Does that make sense? Amen? Amen. All right. Now, some of you might know that there are also... Bible plans out there in terms of studying God's Word. I'm going to focus on one of them today. Uh, before, I became, before I went into the ministry, I was a nurse, psych nurse. Who knew that? Who knew that? Raise your hand. Oh, three people, four people. All right. Yes, I was a psychiatric nurse. And one of the things that we did was they, toward the end of my time doing that, they introduced us to what they call soap charting, soap charting. And SOAP stood for something. It, st it stood for Subjective Objective Assessment Plan. That's the SOAP charting. Keep that up there. And, and uh, if you were a clinician or a therapist, it would look something like this. Subjective is, is the client's view of problems or progress noted. Use the client's own words. And so whatever they're saying, that's what you would chart. I'm not feeling well today. I'm feeling stressed today or whatever it is, you would chart that down. Subjective. Objective, what you'd put it, you'd put an S, you put subjective, you put O, objective. Objective was what, what, as the therapist, you noticed about the client. How they looked, how they present along those lines, or, or even on the assessment. That's going to be a, there as well. Therapist assessment of the client's affect, mental status, psychosocial functioning. And then you develop a plan based on the SOA, the plan, the plan for future treatment as it relates to progress noted. It was called SOAP charting. But a few years ago, uh, one of my young students came to me and said, Pastor Rick, they have a soap charting for the Bible as well. And I said, really? How's that go? And I want to show that to you today. It's soap Bible study method. And I'm going to encourage you that as you take a deep dive into God's word, this is perhaps one way you might want to do it as you approach God's word on the daily. 
First of all, you, you identify whatever scripture, write that down, scripture you want to. As you read the Bible, write out the verses, verse or verses that speaks to your heart. Okay? S stands for scripture. Now, I'm going to take my favorite one today as an illustration. Who remembers what my favorite scripture is? My, who said that? Oh, look at you. Bless you. Matthew 6.33. And this is when I'm going to go with 6.33 and 34 for today. But 6.33 says, and it's Jesus speaking. He says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Above all else. And live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. And so I've identified the scripture or scriptures. It's Matthew 6.33 and 6.34. I just read it. That's the first fill-in. The second is O for observation. What do you observe? What, <coughs> what truth can you learn? Are there any warnings or principles or commands? What is the overall message of the verse? And so when I look at that and I read Seek First the Kingdom, first of all, it tells me I need to make God not just a priority, but the priority in my life. That, isn't that what above all else means? Above all? That means he needs to be in that number one spot. If we, he also goes on to say if we, if we do that, the Bible says God has the ability to meet or supply all my needs. Anyone have needs out there? Come on, somebody. Anyone have any needs out there? Is anyone starting to understand why this is one of my favorite verses? <laughs> it's one of my favorite verses. Because it's either true or it's not, right? And so he says, if I, if I make him the priority, not just a priority, but the priority in my life, he says he has the ability to supply all of my needs. It appears to be conditional. That's one of the things I notice, right? That means if I make him a priority, he will make sure all my needs are met. But if I don't, can I expect all my needs to be met? Mm, okay, so it's a conditional promise. If, it's an if-then thing. And then verse 34 says, if all, if all my, if all my, it says, so don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. That means if all my daily needs are met, I need not worry about the, the problems of tomorrow. I can just focus on today, amen? And so, so many people are either living in yesterday which is gone, or the problems of tomorrow, which hasn't come yet. And Jesus says, if I put him first, I don't have to worry about tomorrows because those worries will take care of itself. All I need to concern myself is today. Someone said, keep it super simple, right? Lord, what do I need to focus on today? Today. And so that's my observation. You may come up with some other things that goes off in your heart when you read that, but that's just a couple of things I saw right off the bat. What about application? How do I apply this verse? How does this verse apply to your life today? How can you live differently in light of the truth of the Scripture? Okay, so it says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he'll give you everything you need. And don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for, to, for today. Well, if I'm a warrior, I could and should stop immediately. Any worries out there? Anybody constantly anxious about the things that may happen? 
Well, according to this verse, I can stop worrying. I don't have to worry about, you know, where my next meal is going to come from. I don't have to worry about how I'm going to pay this bill or that bill. The Bible says all I have to do is make sure that he's numero uno in my life. And I've got a father in heaven who's looking out for me. He's going to make sure that all the, all the dots connect. I call him the, the great shuffler because he knows how to shuffle the decks to make sure that I'm, I'm on the winning side. Does that make sense to anybody? If I make him a priority in my life. Now, if all my needs are being met, okay, I, the and I start to reprioritize my life, listen, I should do that immediately, right? So if I look at my life and I see, okay, he says he wants me to be number one, but honestly, realistically, my job is number one. Or my reputation is number one. Or my children are number one. Or my husband or my wife is number one. If all those things are number one in your life, is God number one? Okay, so that means I need to start to say, okay, I've got to simplify this thing, and I've got to start moving. He's, he's high on my priorities, but he's not, he's a priority, but he's not the priority. And so for this verse to come into effect, and I believe that, that God doesn't tell lies, and I don't think he makes promises he doesn't keep. For this verse to come into effect, he wants, me, he wants to be number one. That means above my job. Above my children, above my career, even above my spouse. He wants to be in that number one spot. Because none of those things, whoever's in that number one spot for you, becomes your God. And you think you're going to get all your needs met by your career or your husband or your wife. Your husband can't meet all your needs. Your wife can't meet all your needs. They can meet some, but they can't meet all your spiritual and emotional needs. Only God. Someone say only God. Yeah. And only he can be. What's going to happen is if, he's, if your husband or your wife is in that spot, in that God spot, you're going to find out real quick that they're not going to be able to meet your needs. They're going to frustrate you. And you're going to frustrate them demanding that they meet all your needs. They can't do it. There's only one person that's able to be, to be in that spot, and that's God. So I need to immediately reprioritize my life. And then I ask myself, it says it's going to lead me into right, right living, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness or his uh, uh, right standing. That means am I living right? Am I doing the right thing as it, as it relates to you know, my walk on a daily basis? Or am I a walking contradiction? Oh, yes, I honor him with my lips, but my heart is far from him. Am I a walking contradiction in major areas of my life? Someone said it this way concerning our children. Children are great imitators, so give them something great to imitate. What are your children seeing you do? Are they seeing you mistreat your spouse? Heaping curses where there should be blessings? Is church attendance an afterthought? 
Because the scripture says, I'm responsible to train up my children in the way they should go. Well, what if it says when they're old, they won't depart? Well, sometimes even when you do your best, they take a little detour. But I step back and allow the promises of God to come in. I did my part. I put my kids in front of Jesus and the word of God. I did my best to raise them. And I'm going to trust that there are enough seeds planted in their hearts that when, as they're getting older, they'll start to make their way back. Come on, somebody. That's called putting your trust in him. But if you've not even done that, or if you're a walking contradiction in the way you conduct yourself, or the word of God doesn't even matter in your life, so instead of covering your wife the way Jesus covers the church, who, who loved him and bathed him in the word of God so that he can present her, himself a bride that is clean and spotless. And it says in the same way husbands love your wives, the same way Jesus loved the church. Are you loving your wife the way God loves the church? Wives, are you respecting your husbands the way God says to do it? The word of God? Where is the priority of God's word in your life? That's not how we've done it. That's not how culturally, that's just how I talk. I'm Italian, man. That's how I talk. I'm Jamaican. That's what we do. That means you're elevating your culture above what the word of God says concerning how I treat one another, treat people, even the people in your own house. It's getting quiet in here. I'm just saying, anyone else notice that? Give your children something great to imitate. You need to ask yourself, what needs to change in your life? And if you come up with a couple things, maybe it's how you're treating your spouse, or your calendar is just too full, Or God is speaking to you about your finances to prioritize them in that area. If you come up with a couple of few things, you bring that before God. And that's the last thing. S is what? Help me out, somebody. The scripture. O. Observation. A. Application. Right? And then P is for Prayer. Prayer. Turn these thoughts into prayer and ask the Lord to show you how to meditate and apply the scripture to your lives. Now, let me just tell you in advance, there's some things that's going on in your life that you are not going to be able to change unless you turn it over to Jesus. Some things you'll be able to change, but there's some things, you know, there's a brokenness in the inside of us that's going to take some healing on God's part for us to change. Some of us have potty mouths. Come on, somebody, don't raise your hand. I'm just saying. Allow the word of God to start to clean that and to touch that area of your life. Whatever it is, you start to allow God to change you. You bring it prayerfully to him. Spend a few minutes in his word and on the daily and, and keep a journal. Write it down. 
This is the scripture that went off. I'm not talking about spending hours in God's word. You can do this in five, ten minutes. Soap chart. This is the what I'm reading a chapter today. Oh, this is what came out. All right, this is the scripture. This is what it, this is the, the you know the observation. This is the assessment. This is the this is what I'm going to pray about today. And if you're really feeling froggy, come on, somebody, like my favorite daughter in love, Tati, you can take that scripture and you can draw a, a picture that represents how it speaks to your life. I asked her to send me something. And so she took that scripture that says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And she drew a little fishing rod. And it helps you to remember what it says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. That's just how her journals look. In the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. Psalms 143.8. And kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul, healthy to the body. So she drew a little honey thing. So these things help you remember. And, and she's teaching her daughter. This is my granddaughter, Eva. She's doing the same thing. Proverbs 16, 24. Pleasant words. What does it say? Our oh, honeycomb, sweet to the soul uh, uh, and healing to the bone. So she drew a little honeycomb. And so these are the ways where you're not just letting it go in one ear and out the other. You are actually spending time to study to to, to to, uh, so that you can rightly divide what the Word of God says. And it's not just going in one and out the other. It's going in one ear. It's going down into your heart. It's going up into your brain. And the Scripture says that you, you start to change that stinking thinking and you become transformed. And the, and the ultimate goal is so that you can uh, discern what God's good, pleasing, and perfect will for your life is. I'm going to ask it one more time. Does anyone want to know what God's will is for their lives? Take a deep dive into God's word. Bathe in it on the regular. Because he wrote so, it's, it, it's his love letter to every single one of us. He wrote so much of it, what he wants for us down in his word. And the rest is going to just be told to you by the Holy Spirit who comes to reside in you. And you will become the man and woman of God he's called you to be. Does that make sense? God loves you, and he cares for you, and he wants relationship with you. And even during this message, I, I believe some of you, God may have spoken to your hearts, to your lives, about particular things that he wants you to bring to the altar. Before I do, So I'm going to do a little altar call up here, and if at any point you want someone to pray with you concerning anything for the next few minutes, just for the next few minutes, I'm asking, I want no one to leave you. But you bring that concern to the altar. But it all, starts, it all starts first with a relationship with Jesus. Have you accepted him as your Savior and your Lord? Jesus says, all the scriptures testify of me. He says, you look to the scriptures for salvation, but every single one of them point to Jesus. Because in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And nothing that has been made, has, everything that's been made has been made through him. Amen? For his glory. And so, if you really want to get to know God's word, you've got to get to know Jesus. Because if you don't know Jesus, all you're going to hear about is the word about the word. <laughs> it starts with relationship.
with him. So if you've not yet accepted Christ as your Savior and your Lord, it would be my privilege and honor to lead you in a prayer of commitment to him. You want to kind of bow your heads and close your eyes. And I'm going to ask the prayer team to come on up here as well. The, but while we're praying for accepting Jesus, if you've not yet done that, say something like this from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I come before you today and acknowledge the truth of your word that says I am a sinner and I need a Savior and Jesus is my Savior. Come into my life. Come into my heart. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. Three days later, you rose again. And because you live, I will live as well. Thank you for saving me. From this day forward, I surrender my life to you. Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already and share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.